We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect, there are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, America, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Welcome to the uh, Audio Fantasy Football Draft Kit Edition. This is the Rotowire Podcast, but uh, each year annually, like Chris, Liss, and I sit down and kind of just start from scratch. So, you know, you need a you need a podcast. You're just you're just waking up this summer. You haven't been mock drafting all spring, and you know you're just awakening to news on Andrew Luck and Andrew, uh, Antonio Brown. Where do you start? Uh, so we're going to kind of you know, go back to square one and just kind of take a really uh, top-heavy look, you know, top-down look at the, at the NFL. And uh, let's, let's start off with just kind of some general strategy this year. Um, here's kind of my takes. I've done, I've done a number of mock drafts. I've done a bunch of – you know, we drafted in Vegas. Uh, I've done my NFC draft. Uh, some a little bit – you know, about halfway, the third halfway through what, what I consider my draft season. Uh, I kind of I feel like it's a pretty typical year. There's – four or five uh running backs at the top of the first round um after that uh there's some you know wide receivers you know there's probably about five wide receivers out of top 12 taken most of the time but um they're probably not as dominant the top wide receivers as the past and the big thing is just the tight ends you know you're seeing three tight ends go in the first uh two to three rounds of every draft this year which is a little bit more aggressive we've seen two in the past uh, so try tight end is really, you know, kind of one of the things you have to figure out this year going into it. You know, what premium are you going to pay for tight end? Or are you just going to completely punt? It used to be just like maybe there's one or two tight ends, namely Gronk, who's not around anymore. You had to make that decision on. Uh, now you have to do that with sort of the top three. Um, that's kind of how I see it this year. I mean, uh, to me, it's 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 a pretty typical year going into it. Yeah, I think typically, you know, with quarterback and tight end, you want to wait unless you get something really special. 
So you want to just stock up on running backs and wide receivers. I do think Pat Mahomes in the third is legit. I think he's just such a different level of talent with the system and talent around him that if you want to go crazy and take a quarterback in the third round, he's worth it. Otherwise, wait. You can get Deshaun Watson, Baker Mayfield in round six or seven, or you can just really wait till round 13 and just get Jameis Winston and be fine. Uh, tight end is kind of the same thing, right? You, you want to go big on Kelsey early second. You want to go big on Kittle or Ertz somewhere in the third. Uh, or I would maybe put an O.J. Howard in the fifth as a possibility, but beyond that, just wait. Um, I, I think the worst thing you can do is pay any kind of premium for a non-extreme difference maker. So it's, this is like most years. I mean, the same thing with Gronk and Graham in the past. You know, you'd, you'd pay for a premium tight end, but don't get stuck paying for that mid-level tight end. Just, just wing it and, and find some sleepers and toggle through the position later in the year. Yeah, I mean, so this year the difference is there's three guys in the top 30, at least in the NFFC, 12-team ADP. Uh, in the past, we've seen two, time, two times. I mean, there's that one crazy year where there were, you know, two tight ends in the, in the first two rounds, right? Everybody, everybody just went off past success. There really isn't an overdrafting from any sort of one position from last year, you know, going nuts. What do you think about the two? You know, my, my typical strategy is, you know, after the first five running backs, and usually there's three to six, like surefire, every down, you know, running backs. This year there's five. Uh, you know, Zeke Elliott has the holdout issue. We can talk about that later. Um, and then later in the draft, I like to go, you know, two wide receivers and then, you know, two or three wide receivers and then take quantity uh, over quality at, at running back. Hope you find a couple that pan out and then you've got a good team and you don't have to deal with the week-to-week variance uh, of trying to pick your wide receivers every week. And that usually works out pretty well for me, especially on the years where I hit the wrong running backs. I mean, that's what it really comes down to. But this year, the top wide receivers, I mean, we don't have the super elite, you know, just touchdown machines uh, that we maybe had in the past. I mean, do you think that's as viable a strategy this year as in the past? Yeah, I think it is. Late. I mean, I think early, if you pick early, you're going running backs. If you're picking late, you're probably going receivers. You could get Joe Mixon early two or late one to mix with the receiver. It's not wrong to do that. But by the time we get to the Joe Mixons and the Dalvin Cooks, I don't know. I kind of prefer the receivers. I kind of prefer to get Juju and Julio Jones or Juju and Devontae Adams, get a pair like that, because Mixon might be fine, although the offense doesn't look very good, or Dalvin Cook might hold up this year. But I feel like you, you may be right about whichever one of those running backs you get, but you're, as long as those receivers stay healthy and receivers are less likely to get hurt, um, it's money in the bank for those guys. And they may not be like... I mean, they're still pretty good. I mean, Devontae Adams, mediocre of a talent as he may be uh, in real life, he's going to get 100 catches and double-digit touchdowns. And if that's your first-round pick, that pays the bills. PPR league, 100 catches, double-digit touchdowns, more than 1,000 yards, might exceed all those things by, you know, by a decent amount. You can't really go wrong there. And then you know, on the way back, Juju, I think, is just – it's so obvious. He caught more than 100 passes last year. I think he caught like 111 last year. And now Antonio Brown, his 168 targets are gone. Juju's like 22, 23 years old in his prime. I mean, there's just no way if he's healthy, he's not going to succeed. So I think it's perfectly viable to get that pair uh, if you're picking late in the first, early second, and then worry about running backs later. Yeah, I went uh, the Vegas draft. I went Odell Beckham and then and then uh, Schuster, you know, Smith Schuster, Juju, um, and tried that strategy. And you know, we'll see. It has some success. Um, but again, let me say I, something I about Beckham. If yeah. I knew Beckham, if I knew every receiver would play 16 games, like if I knew if you just take injuries out of the equation, he's probably my number one receiver. 
I mean, he is so good. He's still just like 25, 26, and he's playing with Mayfield now. I mean, if he stays healthy, and you have to be legitimately worried about the fact he's missed 16 games over the last two years, he, I mean, there's nobody you put ahead of Beckham. Right, exactly. And that's, you know, I mean, I think there's a pretty decent floor there because even if he plays like 14 games or 13 games or whatever, you know, you're still going to... He played four two years ago. I mean, he's a little fragile. That's the only issue with him. Yeah, exactly. And with wide receivers first strategy, that's really what you're banking on is you're, you know, you want guys who are going to play 16 games, you know, get their thousand yards, their eight touchdowns, and then, you know, you're set, you know, yeah. you just you plug it and set it. And then you, then you start to pick up running back. No, he's good for 1,410 touchdowns floor if he's healthy all year. Yeah, right, exactly. Well, I was saying, I was saying floor, that's like the worst case scenario on your, on your first round pick is that he finishes, you know, number, you know, 21 overall among, or 17 among, among all among wide receivers, which is not a good year, but it's not going to, you know, it's not going to tank your team, right? That's not going to be the reason why you lost the league. <laughs> you know, you're going you're gonna to have lost the league or won the league because, you know, your fifth to seventh round running backs either, you know, in other positions either, you know, came through or didn't come through. Um, that's generally how I approach it when you go with the wide receiver uh, first strategy. Um, what Let's talk about, so that, that that's kind of from a strategy standpoint. From the big ticket news items uh, that if you're listening to the podcast today, you kind of need to research and figure out. I mean, to me, the big ones are the holdouts. You got Zeke. You got Zeke who's holding out. Uh, you got Melvin Gordon is holding out. Um, I mean, they're both top, you know, if not, you know, top top number one overall. I would t- I, t- I would take Zeke number one overall if he's in camp right now, healthy, everything's good. In my opinion, I know we've had this debate before. You take Barkley, but it's really just you know, it, so it's super close. Um, Don't overthink it. With, with the holdout though, obviously it's a huge equation. Um, I mean, where are you taking these guys? I mean, they're both first round picks if they're in camp and healthy and, and, you know, we're not having this discussion. So how are you treating them in in your drafts? I would take Zeke pretty early still, probably fourth, maybe fifth. Certainly if he falls to the middle of the first round, I'm snapping him up. I don't think the Cowboys are going to the season without Zeke or if they would, it'd be a game or two. I just, I just think he's too important to that team. I don't care what these, uh, woke sabermetric people think running backs don't matter. It's just not true in the Cowboys case. He's, he's the key to their offense and they do have a contending team, and they're going to pay him something. They're going to figure it out. Gordon, uh, if Gordon played hardball, I think the Chargers would let him walk because he's not as much of a key. They have more proven backups, and uh, I think they're just, you know, I think Gordon's been hurt a lot. Zeke's never been hurt. Gordon's been hurt a ton. They're not going to pay him what he wants, but I kind of feel like because the team's still in touch with Gordon that they're going to work it out, and Gordon will take some face-saving concession like – you know, some incentives or some like worthless theoretical money that it's not guaranteed or something like that. And just call it a, a win, even though it's just face saving. I think he's going to probably be there. Of course, you know, the Le'Veon Bell thing's fresh in everyone's mind. So there's a little bit of panic. But if you're getting him in the third round, I think that's great. I think I would start seriously considering him late second. Uh, if, if it's, you know, I got the 20th or 21st pick, I will gamble on that. Zeke, as I said, fourth or fifth. And I've seen Gordon slip to the third round, which I think is a steal. Yeah, I'm trying to trying to think in my in my uh, NFFC league. Um, I was thinking about taking him uh, in the second round, uh, and he didn't he didn't make it to me, <laughs> you know, on the on the back end. So uh, I, I would definitely you know maybe consider that. I mean, I think most of the actually I take that back. Melvin Gordon was the first pick in the third round. Right. Um, and, and I thought maybe he would come back to me in the third round, which would have been huge value. And I would have gladly done that. And it was one, I was one pick away from that. So, wow. um, 
didn't quite work out. Um, I, but nevertheless, I would probably do that. I think the value is there, and I think you could do it. And I think if you look back at the historically, most of these holdout cases end end out and end well, right? And clearly, if these guys get in and they get two weeks of camp, they're fine, right? They know the offense. Uh, you know, they're in shape in the off season. Um, but last year, obviously, was the exception with the Le'Veon Bell, and so everyone's going to probably overcompensate and get overly worried, I would imagine. Yeah, I agree. Both that and with Andrew Luck, who now has this lingering injury. People remember Luck from two years ago, so the panic is going off. Again, you need a discount to take him because he does have something that's keeping him out of practice and has for a couple months. But I'd love to get him in like the 10th round or 11th round where people are just like, no, it's going to be another season of this with Luck, especially in a one QB league where you're just going to get some backup anyway that's perfectly fine to, you know, to hold you over. And I think there's the same recency bias that people are terrified of luck. And, and maybe it's serious. I, you know, all these strategies, oh, go draft Melvin Gordon in the third or go take luck in the 10th. They have real risk. I mean, it, it could happen. It's not like it, it, you know, I'm not saying it can't happen. I'm just saying at that point, the reward is worth the risk. And you're, you know, anytime you draft a team, there's a huge risk. You, you're one in 12 teams. You have one in 12 chance of winning the league. You know, you have a one in six chance of not even making the playoffs or, you know, even greater chance of getting bounced in the first round of the playoffs. So, you know, at some point you just take a risk and your season could be screwed if Gordon ends up holding out and you wasted a third round pick. But the reward, I think, is worth the risk at that point. Yeah. So in my NFFC league, I took, uh, you know, it was the ninth round. You know, I didn't really have a whole lot of choices I liked. So I thought I would, you know, I would go for a quarterback. And so I took Russell Wilson. Um, and the thought, and I was debating between that and just saying, you know what, forget it. I'll just, I'll wait a couple of rounds. Everyone's going to be down on luck. And if I can get him in like the 10th or 11th round or 12th round, um, I mean, I would love that. I, you know, you can just go to the waiver wire week one in this 12 team league and, and get a quarterback that you're going to live with. Right. And I think if luck is healthy, I think he's, uh, you know, he's, he's got better weapons he's top this five. year. He's in everybody's yeah. top five. He's top two in some people. I, I mean, I think he can be number one. I mean, I think, I mean, because it just, he's great offensive line. They added Paris Campbell. They got, you know, other receiving talent. I mean, you know, they got, I just think he's got, you know, ton, tons of upside, but, uh, I, but at the same time, no, I think he's got tremendous downside because this is just deja vu all over again from two years ago. And also, uh, but it's not related. 2011. It's not related to two, to two years ago, though. Like it's no entry it wise, not. But it's just in terms of the the way that the team has handled the injury situation and been overly optimistic, and then oh, we're hiding, we're not, we're not disclosing, you know, the injury, and more is leaking out. Turns out it's worse than it was. I mean, it's the exact same pattern for those last two years. And obviously, this injury is probably not as bad because it's not uh, a neck like Peyton Manning or you know the shoulder with or you know, like it was uh, with uh, with Luck, but. Uh, at the same time, it's like I just have a feeling it's going to be a lot worse than than what they lead on. And so, yeah, maybe he misses a couple of games, or you know, he's out four games, or whatever. You know, has you know, has a setback, and misses some times versus the whole season. But still, I mean, I, I think there's tons of upside, but now there's tons of downside. Whereas, you know, if he's was out there, there's you know, he's got a really high floor. Yeah, but the downside is more for Hilton because Hilton, you're taking the second or third. So if Luck is not right, that's the guy. The guy who drafted Hilton's the guy who really pays the price. If you draft Luck in the tenth. And he doesn't pan out. So what? I mean, the running backs and receivers people are drafting the 10th are almost certainly going to be busts. You know, oh, only yeah. like one of those in the whole round is going to have been a good pick. So you're basically trading in a lottery ticket for a different kind of lottery ticket. So I'm, all, I'm on board for drafting the 10th. And, uh, you know, as far as we know, he should be ready for week one. As far as we know. Yeah, that's true. I mean, he'll, yeah, I totally agree with you. Hilton will take a big hit. Just look at his nat, look at his stats two years ago. I mean, he, he took a, he, uh, he took a huge hit. Um, okay. So the Andrew Lux, the other one, the other big story is just Antonio Brown, right? Which, you know, 
new, you know, he's a new team, new quarterback. He's not on the field in training camp, although I guess he's maybe shown up today. He's got the mysterious foot injury. Um, I mean, you know, normally he's a he's the second round pick, you know, uh, and so how are you treating that you know, with all the chaos that's going around him? Uh, I I have him behind Tyreek Hill, so the very tail end of the first round. I think he's ninth overall on my board, behind Mike Evans and Tyreek Hill, but he's still tier one. He's the last receiver in tier one because. Uh, he's supposed to be ready for week one, maybe even a week or two before that. The helmet thing is resolved. He's he's happy to play in the new helmet. He's, well, he may not be happy, but he's agreed to it. I was I was hoping that he was just insisting on playing in a Steelers helmet, like literally with the logo. So he you had like a team of Raiders, and then you had like a Steelers guy in the in the huddle. He still had that old helmet on, but uh, now apparently he's going along with it. And uh, the foot thing's not that serious. I think he'll be fine. I mean, I think there's always risk. New system, new quarterback. He's 31 years old. There's a, there's a whole bunch of stuff that could go wrong, but I think there's a chance, and I'm going to say there's like a 10 or 15% chance that he doesn't just lead the league in targets. He leads it by like 15 targets, that he gets like 190 targets. There was that year that Julio Jones got 202 targets. Uh, somebody else, I think it was Brandon Marshall, got a ridiculous amount. Pierre Garçon had 180 targets one year. Once in a while, they'll just be the guy in the team that just gets everything. And the way the Raiders are built... I could see Brown having like 190 targets. And as long as he's healthy, that will pay the bills in the early second round, no matter what his skill level is. So those, I mean, to me, those are the big news items. Like those are the ones you're doing on your draft prep. Those are the ones that sort of move the market, especially since so many of those are early and the first and second round. And you got to make a decision, you know, like Melvin Gordon's there late in the second round. Are you jumping on it or are you not jumping on it? I mean, you're gonna that, those are the things you got to research and figure out which what you're gonna do. Gurley's the um, other one. Nobody knows with his knee. You know, people are taking him mid mid to late second. Obviously, he's got top five upside, and maybe he's done. Maybe the arthritis is too difficult to play through. I mean, they they use C.J. Anderson ahead of him for most of the playoffs last year. When the stakes were the highest, they use C.J. Anderson, who then they let walk after the year. I mean, that is an extreme situation. In the Super Bowl, you're playing for all the marbles, and his knee's just not good enough to have a heavy workload, and then he's rested it in the offseason. He didn't get surgery, I don't think. I think he just rested it. I'm very nervous about Gurley, and the reports are good so far, but, man, you know he's not going to see a single snap in the entire preseason. You will be just as in the dark, you know, whatever your draft is, if it's late August or early September as you are now, and is a hell of a gamble to take Gurley. Yeah, that's a good point. That's another one to definitely consider. Um, I will say that the news has been positive, though. I mean, I, even though... Where's it coming like, from, though? I right, mean, exactly. You know, but Sean McVay uh, is like, we love what he see. He looks great. I mean, what's he going to say? It's true. I mean, I, and, I, and I, you know, I mean, I, I think you want to heavily discount it and put a lot of skepticism on it. But at the same time, it's not like he's, you know, it's Lander Luck, right? Where he's not practicing and he's got some mystery ailment. It's all kind of, you know, where everything just seems to be, you know, kind of going backwards. So that's the only positive thing I would say out of that. But yeah, that's another another one that you definitely need, need to get your arms around and figure out what you're going to do and when you're going to take them. Because it's possible that you could be in drafts and all these guys could fall way below their ADP. And then even though you don't want to take them, you know, maybe you just got to pull the trigger. I mean, you know, like you said, you got a you've got a eight, you know little over eight percent chance to win your twelve team league. You're probably going to lose. So you know, go for broke at some point. Yeah. Um, because we don't know. Nobody knows. I don't really know what the deal is with Gurley's knee. We don't know what the holdout situation is going to be. So the fact that nobody knows means that you're dealing with uncertainty and it's, you're dealing with risk and you're dealing with reward. And there is a price where all these guys are amazing picks, whether or not they pan out. It, it will, you know, just a good gamble at a certain point. I think when you get into the third round, late second, early third for any of these guys is a good price. 
Okay, let's go. Let's let's go through the rankings. Let's go through your rankings. We're going to kind of just look at the top of the board and maybe just pick out some players we like in the middle and the late rounds. Uh, you know, quarterback. We've talked about some of these some of these people in your rankings. Um, I mean, it's generally just wait on the quarterback year more than ever, right? I mean, it seems like last year was like the year where it's like, oh my goodness, don't don't even think about taking a quarterback ever, right? Now, I mean, it's the same thing. Other other than if you think Mahomes, you know, is a difference maker that you can get earlier than than you may expect. Yeah, if you get Mahomes in the NFBC in the third round, where it's six points per passing touchdown NFFC, just take him. Don't get too, don't be worried about oh you're a sucker you took the quarterback. Like okay, be the sucker who gets, you know, the consistent points every week of three four touchdowns and three hundred fifty yards a game. I mean it's going to be another ridiculous year. Uh, otherwise, I'd pretty much wait. Um, the NFFC format's not great for Kyler Murray and Lamar Jackson because it kind of penalizes running QBs. Because it's a point every 20 passing and six points per passing TD. So the passing QBs really sort of catch up to them. But a lot of leagues have a point every 25 yards passing, which really downgrades the passing yards. And then only four-point passing TDs, six-point rushing TDs. In those formats, the running quarterbacks are gold. And you want to take Kyler Murray really high. You want to take Russell Wilson, although his attempts are low. You want to take Lamar Jackson. You want to take even the Trubisky's and the Prescott's who run enough, Josh Allen. So just keep an eye on the scoring system because that a point every 25 instead of 20 yards passing and four-point passing touchdowns really boost the, the running quarterbacks. Now your rankings, you got Mahomes, you got Watson, Mayfield, Rodgers, Newton for your top five, then Murray, Wilson, Ryan, Wentz, and Luck, who you've dropped on to number 10. Uh, let's just say you're you're really you know going to skip the top 10, you're waiting forever. Who's kind of like your mid-tier quarterback that you usually have been have been ending up with uh i've only been in two league i only have two drafts and one of them i waited a long time and i got it was a it was the exact format i described point every 25 and only four point passing touchdowns and i got kyler murray in like the 13th or 12th and then i backed him up with josh allen so i got two running qbs uh and then uh in the other league i took mayfield with the seventh pick and then waited forever for my backup it took sam darnold in like the 19th round so um yeah, I mean, I'm happy with both those outcomes. Uh, a couple names to throw out there. Garoppolo, I think, is a nice gamble, super late, 13th round. Winston, another one that probably will throw a lot, has good weapons. Um, you know, you can always go boring with Phillip Rivers. I think Derek Carr is not the worst option. I think he's going to throw a lot of passes, and he'll get his 27 touchdowns and, you know, a lot of yardage. He's not very good. I think you can gamble on Darnold. I don't think you want Darnold as your starter, but he's there crazy late. The guys I'm avoiding are Breeze and Brady. I just, you know, they're in their 40s. Uh, the attempts for Breeze are way down. Neither one runs at all. I mean, it's one thing to get like 100 yards rushing from, you know, Donald I have for 177 yards rushing. Winston I have for 275 yards rushing. I mean, that helps. A couple of sneaks, a couple, you know, a couple hundred yards rushing. If your quarterback's Rivers or Brady or Breeze and they get no rushing yards, they better have a pretty big passing season with all the running quarterbacks that are in the league. So I tend to avoid those guys a little bit. I mean, I've had Lamar Jackson as kind of like wait on, wait on forever quarterback. I mean, you get the rushing yards. They're going to have a whole year to orient the offense around him. Uh, I mean, I think that guy, tons of upside, right? I mean, but just and, be careful because he's a guy you're going to, you, you can wait on, but you better like in around 11 pounds. Like don't think you're going to get him in 13 because he's exactly the type of guy that people are going to, are going to want to take. So it's like, I think like the Garoppolo's will just be there when it's up to you to take them. Lamar Jackson, you might have to push a round or two. 
I agree with that. I've, I've had Garoppolo as a lot as my second or third quarterback in a bunch of best ball leagues I've done. Kyler Murray, like if you're in a format, I've done a bunch of best ball leagues where there's a huge upside, a huge prize, um, and he goes so early. Because, I mean, he, he might have the most upside of anyone in the entire NFL, <laughs> pretty much. Of any position, I mean, right. He may get yeah. like 10 rushing touchdowns and 1,000 rushing yards and then throw the ball 600 times to receivers yeah. that might, you know, they might have the fastest paced offense in the league. I mean, it's, there's nobody, there's no quarterback in the history of the NFL. Maybe Vic that one year he went crazy that has thousand yard and 600 attempt potential. Like 600 attempts is, you know, that's reserved for like the heavy duty pass only guys running quarterbacks do not get that number of attempts, but you finally have a hybrid that will get the attempts and the rushes. Yeah, and the thing about I like him is that he's obviously a superstar athlete, having been drafted in the first round of both baseball and football. The only guy to ever do that uh, was super productive in college last year. But it's the system he's in, right? It'd be one thing if he just showed up in sort of a regular NFL system, and we were high on, on him as an athlete. But now he's in a system where even if you had just the average quarterback, you know, who's going to get the volume because they're going to have the air raid offense and the coach who's done it in in, in college, and you and you and you have this guy who's got the premium skill set. It just to me, it just seems like the upside's off the charts, and I definitely want to make sure I have some shares of it at some point. Right, especially right as you said, especially in a national contest like the NFFC, like there's an extra premium on that. What's his 90th percentile season look like? And his looks ridiculous. And you know that you gotta you gotta have some shares of that in in a contest that's gonna pay you two hundred thousand dollars if you win. All right, let's switch over to running back. Um, your top five there, uh, Barkley, Kamara, McCaffrey, Elliott. Uh, Elliott, probably a little higher if you, maybe if you... Uh, He'd be uh, two. He'd be number two yeah, if I... With, uh, with that. David Johnson, number five. This is generally the top five I've seen in all drafts. David Johnson might go a spot or two lower depending on wide receivers and format and scoring, but um, he's got 1,000-yard, 1,000-yard receiving and rushing you know, upside potential. Um, then after that gets a little more murky, you know, some of these guys, you just slide in the second round or late first round. You've got the rest of the top five, top 10 is James Conner, Le'Veon Bell, Todd Gurley, Dalvin Cook, Joe Mixon. You're a little lower on Bell. I mean, I see Bell going as a No, no, you must not be looking at PPR if, if you're just, Bell is number six in PPR. Uh, yeah, that's, I'm looking at it. So, well, anyway, he's, I got Conner six and Bell seven. Now Conner's nine. So here, here's the rankings. Okay. Bell six, Chubb seven. Mixon eight, Connor nine, Cook ten. Ah, uh, you know what? I'm looking at. Uh, I apologize. I'm looking at. I'm looking at ADP. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, really. Rankings. Okay, exactly. Right. <laughs> so yeah, uh, rule one for draft prep is make sure you actually look at the right cheat sheet. Right? Yeah. Uh, well, ADP so ADP right. is useful also, but it's. Uh, I, I have Bell a little higher. I mean, I'm a little nervous about him. You know, it's a new system. It's a coach that reportedly didn't want him, and they fired the Jets GM after he. I don't know why they did that after he did the entire draft and signed a whole bunch of free agents to long-term deals. But apparently Gaze didn't want to spend the money on Bell, but now they're together. Bell looks like he's in good shape. He's had a year off. It's a little, you know, he's kind of like David Johnson. Like, it should be good. They should be fine. But there's just more uncertainty than the top four. Zeke has, the obviously, the contract thing, but the top four are returning to the same situation. Bell and Johnson, who the hell knows? So there is some, you know, they, they are, like, capable of catching 80 passes each. But it's, you know, we don't we don't know exactly know what's going to happen. Chubb, I think, with Duke Johnson gone and that system and Baker Mayfield the quarterback, I, I think he has like he could end up as the running back one. So I have him at the top of my sort of like the the top of the next tier. Yeah. So just to recap, looking at the correct 
PPR rankings on Rotowire as of today. Um, you've got Barkley, Kamara, McCaffrey, Elliott, David Johnson. We talked about those five. And then we got Le'Veon Bell, Chubb, Joe, Joe Mixon, James Conner, Dalvin Cook. So they got all those. Um, after that, you know, you've got Gurley 11. We talked about him before. Uh, I mean, who you know, if you're not if you're not getting running backs in the first or second round and it's the third, fourth, fifth round, who are some of the guys that you're that you're eyeing? So, I I don't think you're going to be able to get this guy in fourth and fifth anymore. But David Montgomery looks really good, and I'm I you know I had him downgraded because I you know Tariq Cohen is one of the best third down backs in the game. So I was like, all right, well my, Montgomery's upside's kind of capped, but he's looked so good in the preseason and he's gotten so much buzz that. I'm thinking with Nagy being the creative offensive guy that he is, he may have them both on the field at the same time and, you know, move Cohen into the slot or move him out wide and get creative. And, and Montgomery will still be in there on a lot of third downs. So I bumped him up a bit to number 20. He may be going the third round in general, and you won't get him if you go heavy receiver early. Mark Ingram's another one. He's kind of moving up a little because he's got the running QB, which often helps running backs. And he could be a three down back. It's, it's kind of hard to tell. Um, Kenyon Drake is usually cheap there in like round six. The buzz has been negative on him because Kalen Balaj has been lining up with the first team. But I mean, it doesn't, to me, that doesn't matter that much. You know, it's that every running back, if you're a backup or a starter plays with the first team. I mean, think about how games go. The offensive tackle is always on the field. You're starting left tackle, but your running back is on and off the field. And when he is on the field, he's always with the first team. So everybody needs first team reps because, that's who they're going to be playing with in real games. So that doesn't worry me that much, even if, for God knows what reason, the coaching staff thinks that, you know, Balazs is the starter early on. As long as they both play, I think the guy who's better, which by all accounts is Drake, both on his NFL track record and scouting and everything else, um, I think the coaches are going to give Drake more runs. So I think he's a good gamble in like the fifth or sixth. Sony Michelle is another one, um, reportedly catching more passes in Canada. But can, you, but can you really trust a a New England running back, and they also they took a running back high on the draft this year. I mean, just always take the well, last running back in New England, never the first running back. In New I don't know, man. They took this guy in the first round. He was a big part of their playoff and Super Bowl run, and he's catching more passes this uh, this off season. I I would take him in the fifth and sixth, no problem. I, I think there's like a nice floor there. And um, well, he went in the he went in the fourth round in my NFFC draft. So okay. there's there's probably always somebody that's uh, you know, maybe, but I, well, I, I think even late fourth is is fine for Michelle. Um, other guys, you know, you have like the James White, Tariq Cohen, Duke Johnson here. I think Duke Johnson is kind of the most interesting of those because he could get more early down work. He, he's 5'9", 210. He's not that tiny. He's not like White and Cohen. So I think and, he's, and his per play efficiency has always been really good. It's always, you know, so if he gets more attempts or gets finds something in the offense. And plus, I mean, the starting running back ahead of him, Lamar Miller, everyone hates him. I mean, right. Is it? It's it's not out of that out of the question that yeah. he can really eat into that role or take it over. Yeah, I like I like Duke Johnson. I also like Daryl Henderson. You know, if, if Gurley's a risk, then Henderson's the guy that probably benefits. He might still, even if Gurley's as healthy as he could possibly be, you still might have an Ingram Kamara situation where Henderson's this really awesome pass catching hybrid back that spells Gurley a little bit and makes him gives him two hundred twenty carries instead of you know Gurley's normal two sixty. So I think. Uh, Daryl Henderson is a huge upside. Miles Sanders is getting good buzz in Philly. Might be the lead back. Rashad Penny is going to split with Chris Carson, but there will be a ton of carries to go around there. Um, I also like uh, Devin Singletary a little bit on the Bills. I mean, LaShawn McCoy was not good last year. He's old, and someone's got to take over. It may as well be oh, yeah. Singletary. He's, he's definitely one of my late-round targets here. He, he keeps climbing up ADP as the reports are really good, but he's in the perfect setup 
that I usually look for for late round running backs, which is you want the uh, you know the rookie or the young running back with you know good college production, pretty good metrics, workout metrics, who's behind a bunch of aging you know crumbling veterans, right? In an offense that is you know could be a good offense or good running offense. And while the Bills are not exactly a great offense, they could be a good running offense. They got a running quarterback. So he's the guy, you know, it's like I, I definitely he's somebody definitely to stock up on. The only worry is if he just, you know, if, if his ADP rises so much that you're taking him against somebody who has who's got a you know, clear shot at the job, whereas he is in camp and he's getting a lot of buzz and first team reps. But that doesn't mean necessarily that at least early in the season, he's going to get a lot of carries. Right. I mean, Singletary easily could, you know, McCoy's the starter. McCoy gets hurt or kind of pulls a Frank Gore and is like moderately productive all year and either spells him too occasionally, or there's some other back that is just ahead of Singletary. We never hear from him again. I mean, other stuff, every preseason, there's buzzy rookies that never amount to anything. So, yes. it's, you know, so yeah. that's why you don't want to pay too much for him. But if he's there in the 10th round or the 9th round, it's the kind of guy you want to take. Yeah, he went in the 10th round of my NFFC yeah. draft. Um, and then, I mean, what about uh, Josh Jacobs, top rookie? I like him. He's expensive, though. He's a third-rounder. Yeah. I think he's a third-rounder. I, I think yeah. he's good i mean i think he's gonna get most of the work i mean Jalen richard will get some third down work but i think jacobs can catch also so he'll get some early down receptions too i think he's pretty safe actually but he's yeah i mean mean, per play he didn't get a lot a ton of carries at alabama but per play he was a great player so in my nfsc draft my my running backs were you can critique these a little bit here so aaron jones who i'm high on third round david montgomery fourth round philip Lindsay, fifth round i like those i like those a lot the thing is what you want and here's the thing. You can easily go wide receiver heavy and have a lot of James Whites and Tariq Cohens, and those guys will get you a nice PPR floor. But you're going to have trouble winning the overall with a couple of PPR running backs as your starters. The guys who score the most points are the three-down backs of anybody. You know, I mean, the quarterback scored the most, but relative to the baseline, it's always the three-down running back. So when you're going to skimp on running back, do it in a way that, yeah, the roles are a little less certain, but if it does pop, it's a three-down guy. I think that's the key, right? So that's why Montgomery's a good gamble. It's why Aaron Jones, who's got durability issues, is a good gamble. Um, and even Lindsey, who they signed Riddick, which hurt Lindsey a little bit, but now Riddick's hurt for a while. You really need Lindsey to catch like 50 passes. If he does that, he could be extremely valuable. Well, I also got Kenyon Drake in the eighth round. I like it. I like it. So, yeah. you know, another, he's another one just like that. Like could be the could be the main guy. Could you know get you want guys who can get 180, 190 plus and 50 60 plus catches yeah if you have that I mean, combo then you know then those guys will be super valuable and actually it doesn't matter if balage is the starter for four games and you're like all right fine i got a bench drake and then week five it's just so obvious they have to use drake and he gets most of his 180 carries in you know the second half of the season as long as you're getting even a four or five or six game stretch preferably in the nffc playoffs um where the guy is the full-time three down guy it's worth it, even if even if his season totals aren't that impressive. Uh, let's switch over to wide receiver. Um, your top. Let's make sure I this time around I have it correct. Your top five are Hopkins, Juju, Julio Jones, Devonte Adams, Odell Beckham, and then you got your top running out top ten. You got Michael Thomas, who you're a little bit lower on the most. Yep. Mike Evans, Tariq Hill, Antonio Brown, Adam Thielen. Why are you lower on um, on Thomas than I was? Like, you, you said it before, but maybe you can just repeat it again. Well, he set the all-time record for uh, catch percentage by a massive margin. I, people don't understand how many standard deviations this is. Put it this way. The all-time record for a 100-target receiver, receiver who got at least 100 targets since we've been tracking it, 
in catch percentage, the percentage of catches versus targets, was Wes Welker in 2007 had 77 point something, 77.8 or something percent of his targets he caught from Tom Brady. The, the guy after Welker, the guy who was in number two, I can't remember who it is, but it's like 77.5. The guy who's third is like 77.3. Michael Thomas caught 85%, 85 point something percent of his targets. Just think about that. Of all time, first was 77 and you know went down incrementally by like tenths of a percent. And all of a sudden you're 8% higher than the, the all-time high. That's just, it, it's such an outlier. Now, it's not just totally random because Drew Brees is the all-time completion percentage king. The NFL is a dink and dunk league now. The percent, completion percentages league-wide are much higher. All that's fine. But Michael Thomas will catch 78, which would have been the all-time record, by the way, or something like that this next year, or 79. So he's going to lose some of the efficiency that he got that was just unsustainable, inhuman amount of efficiency. He never gets that many targets. Breeze spreads it around. You know, so you'd think Michael Thomas is a tar- target hog. No, he caught 120 balls or whatever he did last year because of his 85% catch rate. So he only got like 149 targets, 145 targets. He didn't get targeted as much as Devontae Adams or Juju or Antonio Brown last year. So he doesn't get crazy amounts of volume. Also, he doesn't make a lot of big plays. His efficient uh, per play yards per target is just completely driven by that catch rate. His, his yards per catch are like 11 or 12. It's, not, it's nothing special. He's not fast. He's not especially explosive. And he is a red zone guy, but he's not Devontae Adams where you have Rodgers who throws a ton in the red zone and he always looks for Adams. So he's not a dominant red zone guy. He's not explosive. He doesn't get an inordinate uh, number of targets. And while he is the most uh, efficient uh, catch percentage guy in the history of the league, I think that outlier number is going to come down a little bit. All right, so you got Tyreek Hill at number eight. Are, are you worried at all about the risk of him getting suspended, missing the season? I, I actually passed him over in uh, the NFFC League just because— uh, You're worried about him just, beating somebody up again? Well, family member. He has, he, has, he has not made a lot of good life choices, and it just seems like something else could pop up, and then you know you get a zero. Maybe we're past that, and in the NFL and the Chiefs and everybody has moved on. But um, you know, it, 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 to me, it's more than an insignificant amount of risk. Yeah, I, I don't really worry about it. Um, I heard different things. I don't want to get too deep into the case, but guy I know who's a Chiefs fan, and take that for what it's worth, was telling me that apparently, like, they concluded that. Um, that none of that stuff had happened, like that he did not break his kid's arm. And that was all like, you know, that was based on something his wife said that was, you know, used to like threaten him and blackmail him or something. So who knows what the actual truth is, but um, it's possible that, you know, that, that he didn't get suspended because he actually didn't do it. You know, usually we think, Oh, he beat the rap or Ryan Braun's, you know, steroid test. Yeah, well, he got out of it the first time, but that was good custody, a chain of custody. It was like a technicality. We always think he probably did it, but um, in this case, it's possible he didn't do it. So I don't know. I mean, he's been in the league a few years. He obviously did something very bad in college, um, and that's on his record. But if this didn't happen, then it, it might not be a big risk. Now, even just being with, you know, even if it didn't happen, he's obviously associated with a situation that was out of hand. But I don't know. Bottom line, I'm just not I'm not especially worried about that. Um, he's played a couple of years. They didn't have any incidents. Um, and then I have Antonio Brown, nine. We talked about him. Well, let me ask you this, since you're a Vikings guy, I have Thielen 10, and I feel like I'm high on Thielen relative to the, the rest of the market. And I just look at Thielen and his 109 or 110 catches, whatever he had last year, and I'm like, this guy's been good for three years now. He's, they, they don't throw to him, anybody except him and Diggs and the entire offense. Maybe Rudolph and Cook get a few, but it's not a lot. What, what's the downside with Thielen? I don't understand why people are so concerned with him. 
Uh, I mean, the only downside is just that the, you know, Zimmer, the head coach, has said that he wants to run the ball. He, last year, he, you know, changed offensive coordinators so they'd run the ball more. So they're going to try to run the ball more this year. Um, but I think that I think Steele will be fine because I think all they're going to do is just narrow the the, right. the passing tree. And it's just going to be those two guys, and that's it. Rudolph, they're phasing out. They have Irv Smith who they're going to move around um, in a bunch of roles. But he's a rookie. I can't see him getting a ton of targets. I basically think they'll just have no third wide receiver and. And uh, Thielen will be good. I mean, the, the crazy thing about Thielen is if you look at his stats five years in a row, he's improved every year in just about every metric. <laughs> I mean, you know, more targets, more yards, you know, yards per reception. I mean, just it's he's, you know, he's gotten better every year. So, you know, is he going to get better again in his sixth year? Yeah, probably not. But I, I can't see humongous drop off. So, yeah, he's somebody I've, you know, I've, I've been picking away and I really regret uh, not, you know, I, I was going to go at either Jones at running back. Or or him in the third round as NFFC draft and hindsight twenty twenty I think I would have gone Thielen because you got Drake and Lindsey and Montgomery later if you knew you would have got those running backs you would have gone a third receiver oh definitely for sure for sure because I think he's just I think he's got such a high floor you know what I mean like sure his targets might drop off a little bit they may run the ball a little bit more but um, you know he might right. go back to his two thousand seventeen numbers as opposed to last year yeah I don't understand that argument because it's like you're telling me the Vikings aren't going to throw five hundred times that would be low. You know, they've still got 500 targets to go around, even if it's a run-first team. So that, that's the crazy. It's not like they're going to throw. Nobody throws 300 times. Nobody throws 400 times. The lowest team in the league was 429 was the Seahawks. And that was an extreme, extreme run-first team. Basically, low is like 480 to 500. That's how many targets you're going to have to split up among people on the low end. And, of course, Cleveland's going to get 140 of those. Yeah, I mean, they're going to be behind in some games. I mean, as much as I think the Vikings will be a, a good defense and maybe like two years ago a great defense, odds are, you know, they're going to be behind in their share games and have to throw the ball to catch up. Okay, mid-tier, uh, after that, I mean, who, you know, you you went running back heavy early on and uh, now you're going to make up for it in the middle rounds. Who, who are the guys that you're eyeing that you hope, you know, fall in your lap? Well, if you, if you talk about fifth round, you want to start in the fifth round, uh, Mike Williams, love Mike Williams of the Chargers. He's, he had 10 touchdowns on 66 targets last year, and obviously nobody can sustain that touchdown rate, but it wasn't a total fluke. The guy's 6'4", 220, gigantic wingspan. They look for him a ton in the red zone. He was really good at converting those attempts. Keenan Allen's never been a red zone guy. Maybe Hunter Henry, if he's healthy, and we still have yet to see a healthy Hunter Henry play a full season. Maybe he grabs a couple of those, but I think I think Mike Williams gets, you know, 110 targets ish. Could go more, but you know, sort of his projections around 110, and I think he gets back to 10 touchdowns on 110 targets. And if he gets 120 or 130, uh, if they either throw a lot or Keenan Allen were to get hurt, um, I think Mike Williams may be the favorite along with Devontae Adams to lead the NFL in touchdowns. So what about Chris Godwin and Tyler Lockett? I mean, are they getting too rich for you, or are they still? You uh, know, I hate Tyler Lockett. Uh, Chris Godwin, really? I, see. I moved him up. I mean, Chris Godwin's going to be the second receiver in a pass-heavy offense with Bruce Arians. He looks like he's good. He's had a, he was decent as a rookie. He made a nice step last year. They lost Humphreys and Deshaun Jackson. They've got OJ Howard, but OJ Howard gets hurt a lot. And even so, it's just really three guys in the whole offense. So I, I can see the case for Godwin, but Tyler Lockett, I have like fortieth. I don't see the case for Tyler Lockett. I don't forty first. I don't understand what. Why are people drafting Tyler Lockett in the fourth round? I well, there's not, no more Doug Baldwin, so there's you know some some target share to go around. No, it's it's just the best. Ter- I don't understand. Last year, Tyler Lockett had the most efficient season in NFL history for a wide receiver. Seventy targets or more. He had exactly seventy targets, which is very low. He had thirteen point eight yards per target. 
The previous high was Jordy Nelson had like 12.3. Okay, in the last 25 years, Jordy Nelson on 98 targets had the highest efficiency. Deshaun Jackson is usually around 10 or 11. Uh, Julio Jones is usually around 9 or 10. Pico Odell Beckham was around 10. Um, nobody gets el- more than 11. And Jordy Nelson had 12 that one year when he went insane with Aaron Rodgers in 2011. But Lockett had 13.8. It is so off the charts. It is so such an outlier. He had 10 touchdowns on 70 targets. It was just so out of control. So you say, well, he's amazing. Why wouldn't you draft him early? Despite being that good and Doug Baldwin missing a game or two and being limping around and obviously having to retire after the season, he was so banged up, he only got 70 targets. They did not see fit to even give him 90 or 100 targets, which is modest, despite his success. So I gave him 84 targets this year. I could see the case for giving him 90, 92 targets, but you can't give him 120 targets, and he would need 120 targets on a normal rate, even an excellent rate, to be a fourth-round pick because he's, of course, not going to get 13.8 yards per target. It's not possible. So I, you know, we see Baldwin leaves is 14 games of banged-up Baldwin leaves, and you replace it with D.K. Metcalf, who they drafted, I think, in the second round, Gary Jennings in the fourth, and John Ursua, another guy that they like, and they drafted. So they replaced Baldwin with three rookies. I think those three rookies will at least have as much target share as a banged-up Baldwin. And then you have Lockett, who's really good, but he's not like the durable guy you can just like throw to 150 times. And last year they only threw to him 70 times. So I, I see like almost no path to upside. I think he'll get 90 targets for like 9 or 50 yards and six or seven, six touchdowns. Okay, how about DJ Moore? He's another guy that I kind of like in the middle rounds. Uh, you know, obviously first round pick, second year. He's gonna he's gonna step in and be the number one receiver. I mean, they're not a pass heavy team, but sometimes it's better to be the only game in town, right? I mean, don't you see him? You know, taking a leap this year. Yeah, I have him twenty one overall. I like him. He also gets rushing yards and rushing touchdowns sometimes. So that you know, it's not a big deal. But one hundred forty rushing yards and a rushing touchdown really add when you add up the numbers. Uh, the negative on him is that he's not the only game in town. Curtis Samuel has looked really good in camp, and he was a former second-round pick. And McCaffrey's like another receiver, right? So he takes a pretty big target share. And Olsen is back, and Olsen, when healthy, is is also still pretty good. So it's it's more crowded than it looks. But, yeah, I still like DJ Moore, and I have been 21. I, I could easily see him taking the, the leap. All right, so let, let's talk about you know really late sleepers. I mean, uh, you know, not sleepers, but uh, players are going to get – uh, the guy that I liked the most, I took a lot uh, early in early drafts and uh, best balls is Paris Campbell, who uh, was on, you know, going to be on the Colts with the healthy luck. He's got, he had the, he was the fastest guy, fastest wide receiver in the draft at the combine. Um, you know, early buzz on him in camp was great. Uh, he was going to work in the slot. I just thought, wow, you know, give luck another guy like T.Y. Hilton who can, you know, get down the field and that's going to be a great recipe. But now luck's hurt. And Paris Campbell's missed basically two weeks with a hamstring injury, which I'm not too worried about because I think he would emerge later in the season anyway, and I'll come back. But the luck thing's a big factor, so that's one of my big sleepers. If everything in the next couple of weeks, you know, heads the other direction, uh, I like a lot of the rookies too. Uh, DK Metcalf, and if you're not if you're not high on Lockett, maybe you're high on him, right? Um, and you know, and then obviously I think there's I can't tell in San Francisco who's going to win out some of these jobs, but. Uh, even someone like Jalen Hurd could be pretty good in, in there, depending because it seems like you know there's targets up for grabs. Yeah, Debo Samuel had a good game in the preseason. Another rookie, uh, Nikhil Harry's been banged up, but the Patriots are really thin at receiver, and he kind of reminds me of like a Michael Thomas type, not that fast, but kind of big, polished, could contribute right away. So I like him. 
A guy who I have really high, but most people don't, is Sterling Shepard. I got him in both my drafts. I mean, he's going to be ready for week one. He had a minor hand injury. And Golden Tate's suspended for four games. Odell Beckham's gone. Corey Coleman, who was going to be the deep throw, is out for the year. And they have Evan Ingram and Barkley, but I think Shepard is going to get 125 targets. I mean, he's just going to get that. And I know Eli Daniel Jones is not the greatest situation. I know, but what, 60 of them are like five yards, bounce off the turf. No, nah, no, nah, it's not going to be that bad. <laughs> Here, here's the thing about the Giants. They're an 8-8 eight and eight offense and a 4-12 and 12 defense, and they'll end up 6-10. and 10. And Eli's pretty bad, but Eli's bad because if Eli doesn't have ideal conditions, he's dead. You know, he, if there's any pass rush, he gets the happy feet, he panics, he's, he's terrible. He has no escapability at all. He can't make a play. But if the, if the protection's good, Eli, he still sucks, but he's... He knows where to throw the ball. He can get the ball to these guys. His arm is fine. So I think the offensive line is going to be decent. And I think the offense is going to be, especially with Barkley kind of bludgeoning people, is going to be all right. It's going to be enough to support production. So he's going to have 120-ish, 120-plus targets. And, again, it's just opportunity. You know, It's all about opportunity. And he's going to get 75, 80 catches. And he's just cheap PPR, easy third receiver. I have him third receiver on both my teams. And I'm going to keep – as long as he's there in the seventh, eighth round, I'm going to keep taking him. So any other, any other late-round dart wide receivers you, you find yourself winding Andy up with? Andy Isabella, I like. He was so productive in college. He's so fast. He's been banged up and not But they really, have like 1,000 receivers in Arizona. They do, but, you know, they drafted him the second round. I don't think Christian Kirk is anything special. I mean, people like him because he was there last year, but didn't play with Murray, didn't play with uh, Kingsbury. So – I don't know. You got to pick somebody, right? So it could happen. I mean, I, like I said, I, I I'm just super intrigued with the with the with the overall the offensive game plan there and how many how many snaps they're going to run. Yeah, I mean, it might not be him, but you rather have a guy with a 25 percent chance at a massive season uh, and a 75 percent chance of being worthless than a guy with a 70 percent chance of being okay and a 10 percent chance of being massive, right? You want to yeah, go right. with the guy well, at this point, right? You always want to yeah. get the guy with the once you're in the 10th round, 11th round, 12th round, like you just want to go with like the guy who has the biggest chance to be massive and otherwise you cut him. I mean, that's, yeah. that's sort of the asymmetry that you get into the later rounds in, in fantasy football. A um, couple other guys, Jamison Crowder and PPR is the opposite of that, but he may catch 90 balls uh, in that system kind of easy. Um, you know, a couple, I mean, I have a share of Marquise Brown. He's banged up, but Baker Mayfield said of him, that he had had an extra gear that D.D. Westbrook lacked in college, and D.D. Westbrook ran a four three nine. So, just keep that in mind. So, if, if Brown is ready for week one, yeah, if he was healthy, I'd be all over him. But well, not, you have kind of to watch his status. All right, well, shifting over to tight end, we kind of talked about the dynamic at the top the, with the big three. Um, your rankings after that, after um, Kelsey, Ertz, and Kill go. Evan Ingram, O.J. Howard, then running out the top five. Then Jared Cook, Vance McDonald, Hunter Henry, Mark Andrews, then David Njoku, easy for me to say, at number 10. Um, I mean, are you really, between 4 through 10, are you even ending up with any of those guys? I mean, are you taking the plunge, you know, somewhere in the mid-rounds, or just after that, are you just, you know, just going going to the bottom of the list and, and looking for somebody with the upside, knowing that you can just pick guys off the waiver wire? I really like Howard. I moved Ingram ahead of him, but that was sort of an accident. I, I just moved Ingram up when Golden Tate got suspended because – Someone's got to get the targets, and he just, through pure volume, got ahead of Howard. But I think Howard is like, he may be Kelsey Gronkowski good. He may be like one of the greatest tight ends of all time in terms of talent. He's just been so good whenever he's touched the ball. And uh, 
I, just, but the, just, two, the two negatives for him are, okay, so Bruce Arians generally doesn't like tight ends, at least in the past. At least that's somewhat the knock. And then there's two tight ends in, in, in Tampa Bay, at least there were last year. Yeah, but Braid sucks. And then Arians, uh, that was just a mistake to give him that contract. And then Arians, um, who were his tight ends? I mean, it's like people are like, well, they don't use the tight end. Well, yeah, because he never had O.J. Howard. Right? It's like if Bruce Arians coached the Patriots with Pete Gronkowski, would he not use Gronkowski because he doesn't use tight ends? No, of course he would use Gronkowski. You know, it's like you you got to coach to your personnel. So I think it's sometimes dangerous. I think it's it's smart to use coaching tendencies to be like, okay, Andrew Reid's running backs usually perform well. And it doesn't, you know, obviously he had Jamal Charles, LaShawn McCoy. He had Brian Westbrook. But um, I think also like, part of those guys' success was because they were in Andy Reid's system. I think at a certain point, you credit the system for some of it. Um, I, I don't think it's smart to do that same thing and say, well, he doesn't use the tight end. And then you look back at the tight ends, and there was nobody who was good before they got there or was really good when they left. It's just they had a bunch of like Jermaine Gresham type of scrubs that never did much. Okay, so a guy that I've been getting a lot, finding himself uh, ending up with a lot, is Mark Andrews, who... Me too. I think he's going up. He's going about seventeenth, I guess, and and it, it looks like NFFC ADP. I mean, basically, you can get him for nothing. Um, he could be the leading re- receiver on that team, don't you think? On uh, have you been using the Rotowire draft software when you've been drafting? <laughs> well, he always pops up. He's always there at the top. Yeah, because I got him at nine, and you know yeah. he's going seventeenth. I don't think there's a huge difference between nine and seventeen for most people. Like, it, it's a huge difference in ranking, but in difference of projections, it's probably if you moved a guy up or down five percent. It could drop him six spots because it's they're so packed in around there. But yeah, I agree. He was he was good as a rookie, and tight ends are almost they almost never do anything as a rookie. And if they show any spark like George Kittle did in his rookie year, it bodes very well for them in the next couple of years. So we'll see. It's obviously not everybody that shows a spark as a rookie is great, but um, I think there's some upside, and Lamar Jackson seems to like him. And then what about Darren Waller? who I made you do a projection on earlier this year. For, well, for then first you made me do a projection. I was like, who's this guy? I was like, oh, I must have deleted him because he got like, you know, 100 yards receiving last year. And I added one. And then there was some buzz. So I actually moved him up to 24. I actually moved him up quite a bit. Um, there's some buzz that he's just been making plays all over camp. So, okay, if he's a starting Raiders tight end, they don't have a lot of depth at receiver. It's like, you know, Tyrell Williams is there too. And Brown's already got issues connecting with the team and his feet. Um, so I moved him up to 24. I mean, it's... It's kind of hard to take an unknown and based well, on. I've, I've, I've been taking them in a bunch of best ball drafts. I mean, best ball, sometimes, you know, when you're taking your last player out of 20, sometimes I take three tight ends and, you know, I'll just take any any guy with upside. So he seemed to fit the bill. So I've, I've wound up with him in a, in a bunch of leagues. So uh, we'll see how that I goes. I stopped playing those 20 team, the 20 man best ball. I, I'd always have zero tight ends by week eight. I'd be, like both my tight ends would always be out for the year. And I'd be like, oh, sweet. I got Deshaun Watson his rookie year. And I got. I'd be like looking at all my players. Oh, this guy broke out. I'm doing well. And then, uh, I got no tight ends left. They're both on IR. Like I can't possibly win. <laughs> well, I really like the best ball leagues. I mean, I know it's growing in popularity. It's, it's easy. Yahoo added it. Uh, draft is a really good app. Uh, Fantrax has it. Uh, there's probably a couple other places that I'm forgetting. Um, I just think it's a great research tool because, yeah. you know, mock drafting is great, but the problem with, you know, traditional mock drafts with free, you know, with everyone just no jumping skin in the free, game. Yeah, everybody quits after like the second round, right? And um, the ADPs aren't. In, yeah, the ADPs yeah. aren't realistic. You're not seeing what's available in the eleventh or twelfth because it's not real. No, there's a good point to doing it, and it is fun 
to draft with something at stake and then just let it play out and not have any work. I mean, I think it's yeah. a great concept. I, I just I just think it's a great research tool because what happens is, especially early in the season, and I've, I've really started to integrate this in my process, is you just start doing them and then just players pop up and you're like, you know, who's number one, guy? like you do, right. yeah, who's that guy? Number one, so then you're forced to you know figure out who the who the Darren Wallers are of the, of the world. But then also, just a lot of times, you'll just be struck by like, wow, that guy's going really early, or wow, everyone's waiting on that guy. Do a little more research. You know, sometimes it's just for whatever reasons, but sometimes you know you uncover some nuggets or just get a feel for the market. Um, and to me, that's like ninety percent of studying for fantasy drafts in any sport is just knowing the player pool you know, one through 600, you know, and so that you're going to a, an auction or a draft and you're fully prepared. And so it, to me, it's, it's becoming an increasing part of my uh, draft prep. Yeah. So I do all the projections in May for the magazine in April. So I, it doesn't really, I don't really need that. I'm one of the, you know, obviously most people, it's not their job to do that. So, um, they're, they're actually discovering stuff. I'm sort of like, oh, yeah, I know the pool. And then secondly, I have seven real drafts. And sometimes when I do too many, uh, best balls, and I end up with 11 or 12 drafts total. By the time I'm on my like 10th draft, which is really only my fifth real draft, non-best ball draft, I'm like, draft fatigue. I'm like, oh yeah, I just, I'll take a share of him. I'll take, you, know, you sort of lose the uh, super urgency of, you know, this is the only, like each of these is precious. Each of these drafts is all you got here in this draft. Like you can't get Cavalier and be like, eh, I don't have any Dalvin Cook. I'll, I'll get a Dalvin Cook share. I don't, I don't like getting a share of this guy, a share of that guy. I want to make sure that like I'm getting the guys that I absolutely think are the best player at each pick and not have so many drafts that I'm just sort of like, eh, I'll add this to my portfolio. I'll have a little of this. I'll have a little of that. I want to make sure that like I'm super focused in each one. and I, I, It dilutes it for me a little bit. So anyway, to each his own. I know, I know they're fun. I know they're useful for a lot of people. Yeah, and the other thing I do, uh, just in terms of draft prep, is I mean, I I, I use our, an iPad, and I use our, our iPad software. You should definitely, if you listen to this podcast, go to go to you know, search for RotoWire in your app store for at least iTunes or Apple. And I go in there, and I, you know, I go through, and I you can mark in all your keepers, you know, all your sleepers, all your tiers, all, all you know, you know that kind of stuff. Uh, and so yeah, that's all laid out for you. You can put in the keepers ahead of time during the keeper draft, figure out all the, all the auction dynamics there. It does inflation. Uh, that's super, super helpful. So you kind of have an idea of who you can target. Um, and then I do a lot of drafts so that you can, you know, create a new one and you can import all those sleepers and tiers into each draft. So you have to do the work every single time. So, you know, I'm ready to go and I, you know, constantly am changing that and editing and that dropping guys, moving guys up. But that way, you know, I'm just ready to roll for it, for every, every draft, every format. And it, it works pretty well when, when you're someone like me who ends up doing about 13 different leagues. Well, I'll tell you another sort of thing that we do with our projections that most people don't. Um, is I will juice the sleepers a little higher than I think their real projection is. So they show up higher on the list. It's not perfect. You still have to reach down because you just can't project guys who have a small chance of winning a job that's a very important job as highly as you would with a, as a guy who you know, you know for a fact has the full-time job. But I want to make sure that we have the best draft list. So the Rotowire stuff has you know a lot of good players juiced up a little higher the way I would want to draft them rather than like, oh... Naeem Hines is going to get 58 catches, so he has to be the 27th back. I try to lower those guys a little bit so that you're not drafting for floor in those rounds. You're drafting for ceiling. You're drafting to win your league. So I try to do some of it, but I do agree, Pete, it's worth importing those sleepers to all your drafts separately. But I try to make it so the sleepers show up where they're supposed to on the draft list itself. Most most projection systems, they don't do that because they're too worried about um, making sure that like all the numbers add up on a – on a particular team or something. And I, and I've just basically made it so that it's draft friendly rather than, 
oh, let's theoretically enter this projections thing into a contest. It's much more geared toward drafting your teams. Yeah, I just do it because, I mean, even though I do this professionally and I draft a lot of leagues, I mean, so many times I'll, you know, if I don't have a list in front of me, I will forget somebody. And then he'll get, he'll get you know, that that player will get taken and I'll be like, oh, geez, I forgot about that guy. You know, so I really try to get, you know, even though it's the obvious sleeper, I try to make sure it's always right in front of my face because, you know, once, once things are moving, uh, you know, you tend to start thinking about other things and forget. Well, uh, one, one thing you should do is when you're drafting NFFC or whatever, whatever the, whatever the, you know, what's ESPN commission or CBS or whatever, um, you should, uh, be queuing, you should be going da- scrolling way down lists and queuing up all the guys you want so that they're, so that you don't forget, like, don't just look at the ADP or, you know, the, the projections or whatever. You, you've got to like, in, while you're waiting around to draft, make sure you're constantly filling that queue with possibilities. Yeah, I, I totally agree on that too. I mean, the only worry there is just that, you know, you don't want to do it too early so that you get disconnected. And next thing you know, you took a you know tenth round sleeper <laughs> instead of the third round yes, or something right, like that. But right. but you always want to have a really good list going because uh, the wor- it's just the worst when you get caught flat footed and you have a pick coming up and you don't know what to do. Then you make dumb decisions, right? Um, you want to think it out ahead of time and have as many possibilities as possible. Um, yeah, whatever. You know, what other basic advice if someone's hearing this first first time would you, would you have for anyone? Let's, let's just wrap it up with that. Yeah, so I think like just think about your draft this way. Early on, you want to get the guy who has the best 30th to 40th percentile numbers. In other words, meaning if things go kind of bad for this guy, not like obviously he tears his ACL, but like, you know, the offense is a little sluggish or, you know, the usage is erratic. The first two or three rounds, the 30th percentile is what I want to draft. I want to just get the guy who his floor is super solid. But as you get to round four, then you're sort of looking at like four or five, the 50th, they're sort of average season you want to draft. The best, the guy with the best average season. But as you get to seven, eight, nine, ten, you want to get the guy who's 60th or 70th percentile season is you think would be the best. And as you get to 10 plus, you want to look at 80th and 90th percentile seasons. So early on floor, as you get to the middle, sort of the average projection for these guys, and then later on ceiling. And there's, you know, nobody does projections for every 10th per, you know, percentile of each guy. But in your head, have an idea of, you know, floor, sort of average production, just whoever has the best expected production to whoever, if things break his way, could do the best. That's what you're looking for at the end. So you should have a sliding scale of the, you know, the possible seasons guys should, could have. And the deeper you go into the draft, the cheaper the pick, the more you're only looking at what could go right, not what could go wrong. Early on, you're mostly looking at what could go wrong. And in the middle, you're sort of balancing what could go right and what could go wrong. Yeah, my basic advice is just like, I mean, for the most part, ignore ADP. I mean, you want to look at ADP to make sure that you're not taking some guy who's going to go, you know, two, three, four round rounds early and, you know, and you're, and you're making some overreach, you know, so you're taking a guy when you could have got somebody for the most part, nobody knows, don't get locked into some mentality of like, Oh, I have to take this guy. Usually whenever you utter that phrase, that's a bad pick. Um, nobody knows, you know, if, if you're high on a guy, you do the research, you look at a guy and you think he's going to be the breakout player and you take him. Great. I am always, I always do better. I always, you know, in my, in my leagues where I leave and I, when I leave the draft table or the draft software, I left with you know a good chunk of my guys, the guys that I'm high on. Those are the teams that are always the best for me. And sometimes you just have to you know ignore ADP and the trend and just go with your own gut. Yeah, be aggressive. I agree with that. One last thing, and I know you disagree with this, but it's still correct. In the 20 round league, 20 round draft, Justin Tucker, the 15th or 16th. <laughs> Don't feel bad about being the first guy to take a kicker if it's an all time kicker. 16th round, I give you the green light. 15th round, I give you the green light. Don't worry about what the legal will mock you and laugh at you. 
you'll be happy to have that rock solid guy every single week. I know I lost my bet to you last year. We went over on, on Tucker. We'll have to do it again. Yep. I'm pretty I'm pretty dogmatic. I mean, it's you know defense is the second to last pick, kicker the last pick. You look at the uh, ability for experts to project them. You look at the year to year variance. It's just not worth it. I'd it's, rather have somebody somebody who's got you know some some more upside. It's it's a case of something that's generally true, which it is generally true that defenses and kickers are incredibly hard to predict in in general. To say okay, I'm gonna you know how good are my kicker rankings? Not very, but there, just because something's true in general does not mean it is true in specific instances. And the elite elite, um, I think there's an exception. So green light yeah, on I, Tucker, Goskowski, uh, Greg Zerline, maybe those three. That's it. Uh, maybe Tucker. That's about it. The other ones, I'm not sure. I mean, I will say last year, I'd, you know, in, in, uh, in an auction, uh, our high stakes auction where you didn't have to buy, uh, you know, a defense or a kicker. Uh, I did not. And, uh, you know, nobody wanted Adrian Peterson. It was like July of last year. and He wasn't signed with any team and it paid off. And I got not that he was like the best player in the league, but a thousand yard rusher. You know, that was, you know, and way worse. You know, yeah, you know, it was. It would help. You know, well, I actually agree with that. I think you either you, you know, if you're going to pay for Justin Tucker two bucks, it's fine. Or 16th round. But in, in that and most leagues like the NFFC, you must take a kicker in a defense. But if you don't have to and you can just like a Yahoo League where you can drop a kicker and you, know, you can pick up a kicker in defense before the week one starts, it does make quite a bit of sense to just have two more lottery tickets at running back receiver and, and you hope you get lucky. And it, as, as you said, sometimes it pans out. Yeah, I panned out for last year. Uh, most of the years I do that, you know, I instantly drop those guys before week one because they're, you know, some rookie or somebody who you know, got cut or didn't, you know, has his fifth string or something like that. But yeah, I definitely do it. Well, that's it. Uh, hope, hopefully this is helpful. You know, went through the draft. Again, you know, you can go to rotowire.com slash podcast, get a free 10 day trial, check out all the stuff we have here, the, the tools, the, the, the cheat sheets, the rankings. Um, and good luck. I mean, listen to the podcast. We'll update it again. But uh, hopefully this is, this is a help. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.